Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning was Wendy Beauchene. How are you, Wendy? I'm doing great. Thank you, Tyler. Oh, such a pleasure to come on. Um, you and I met one degree of separation. I love it. It's Calgary. Everybody know every biggest small town ever. I've made that joke probably about a hundred times on on the show. You are the chief executive officer at Alberta Cancer Foundation. We joked before, how do we get this started? Let's pretend that our audience has never heard of Alberta Cancer Foundation, and you happen to be in an elevator with them. And they're like, oh, hey, Wendy, what what, what do you do? And what is this organization you represent? Can you give us a little bit of like, let's just set the the foundation for this chat? Sure. I guess simply put, um, the Alberta Cancer Foundation exists to help create more moments for Albertans facing cancer. And so we are the philanthropic partner of all 17 cancer centers uh, here in Alberta. That includes, of course, the Tom Baker Cancer Center here in Calgary and the soon to be opening Calgary Cancer Center. And of course, the Cross Cancer Institute in Edmonton. 17 cancer centers. Okay, okay Tom, that you nailed your very good on your talking points, by the way. More, <laughs> more moments that matter for cancer patients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that is something that really spoke to that. me and actually was a big reason why I decided to come on board here. So my mom's had cancer for 10 years. Oh. And, you know, I think when people think about cancer, they think immediately, um, well, you go to a very dark place. Everybody does. But cancer outcomes have come so far thanks to research that more people are surviving their cancer than ever before. And in fact, many people are living with their cancer. So that whole concept of moments, you know, in those 10 years, Tyler, she's had two great grandbabies. She saw her grandson get married. You know, we've had many great times as a family and it's about moments, you know, talking about moments as opposed to necessarily a cure. You're you're, thank you so much for clarifying that. Even my own mind, it, it, I just caught myself. It was more binary than that. It was like a diagnosis or a cure. Or unfortunately, we know what the other third, third option is there. And I've had, as we've all had, we'll get into some statistics because, of course, I was doing some pre-reading and the statistics around the people, like this is in your life and you will either encounter it personally or a close friend. And I have friends that have beaten cancer. I've had the fuck cancer phone calls with friends of mine who are like, got it and cured it. But I really appreciate the concept of living with it and how that has changed from this. It's, it's not a death sentence automatically to hear, even hear that word. I think it's really easy to tie those two things together. But when you think about progress in what you do and in the world that you support, it's also about quality of life and dealing with living with this thing now that is kind of shown up in your life. That's a powerful kind of paradigm shift for me anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, it really was for me. Um, and I've, I've lived it. I'm seeing it. And, you know, I think cancer is a really complicated illness, mm-hmm. right? There's probably 200 kinds of cancer. Well, just from that alone, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for some, there are some cancers that are devastating diagnosis, like absolutely devastating. Yeah. And it's still a heavy lift and we need to do more things like a glioblastoma, sarcomas um, that, you know, people get at relatively young ages. Um, and then there's other cancers where treatments have come so far. And, you know, people are living, living and surviving their cancer, but quality of life is also the next part of that. And so right. we support research that actually helps with survivorship too. Mm, I really appreciate both sides of that. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, and you and I've had this conversation beforehand of like, when I think about if there's someone in my life that, that is, that is dealing with cancer, I'll typically associate with where they're going, who's giving them their treatment, which doctor are they seeing, you know, what avenue or what new maybe... Uh, procedure or treatment that they're getting exposed to. When you think about the role that Alberta Cancer 
like that's a layer above or like just talk to me a little bit about the dynamic of you got these 17 cancer cancer centers across Alberta and I want to put it out there Alberta I've always heard and I've not we're a leader like we are definitely in terms of a province we've we've got it together when it comes to how we support this disease is that a safe way to say it like better better than other jurisdictions possibly you know, I think that uh, it's a hard thing to measure, right? Mm, it's a really difficult okay. thing to measure. But I would like to think that Alberta is doing exceptionally well, and it's a big part of thanks to the support of the community. I do know patients that sometimes will go down to expert places in the United States, MD Anderson and whatnot, mm. and, and you know, be told you've got great services there in Alberta. They can help you there. And so our whole goal at the Alberta Cancer Foundation is to make sure people have access to the very best, the very best as close to home as possible, as close to home as possible. Um, but yeah, Alberta has a, a great system, as I mentioned, 17, 17 cancer centers and clinics throughout the province um, and two really strong tertiary cancer centers in Edmonton and Calgary that are doing incredible research, offering groundbreaking clinical trials. You know, Edmonton specifically, um, punching way above its weight in terms of the patients on clinical trials, uh, well above the national average. And, and that's important because those are treatments that are emerging treatments, novel treatments, that yes, they're about research and fostering treatment, treatments of the future, but often patients that are going on those, maybe some of the more traditional options have failed. Mm, so okay. to be able to offer those, and actually it's something we're really proud of at the Alberta Cancer Foundation in that we do support every cancer clinical trial in the province. Interesting. So the role of Alberta Cancer Foundation alongside these actual clinics and these these hospitals where where these treatments are actually happening, is your role, like, again, how would you kind of hierarchy or is it fundraising first, you know, getting access to what's happening globally? Like, break down to me a little bit, you know, my goal here is for the listeners to get a real understanding. I think we've all heard Alberta Cancer Foundation, but I'll be honest, I don't really know exactly what you guys do. I can guess, but I'm being a little bit ignorant to get some good content here. But break down to me in terms of like your priorities and what are the things that, that you as an organization focus on? aligning with these actual boots on the ground uh, teams that are helping other humans. Yeah, that's great. You know, there be really clear, we don't run the cancer center. So we're the philanthropic partner or the fundraising partner. Okay. Mm. And so what I would say is that, and so we, our role is to inspire the community to give. Um, and that's, that's what it's all about. And boy, oh boy, we're lucky that we live in a province like Alberta who is so committed to that and to making life better for cancer patients. So I really say we have sort of two two groups, if you will, Tyler, okay. and that is the groups that want to make life better for cancer patients today. So right now, and so one of the programs that we fund every year is something called patient financial assistance. So the cost of cancer, yes, we're a publicly funded health system, but all the things that go around it um, can be really expensive. Now picture you're maybe an hourly employee or um, unemployed mm, right. or in the gig economy without benefit plan, just, you know, myriad of things. Of and what patient financial assistance program is intended to do is just to really bolster some of those expenses while you're going through um, cancer. Like it, I'm, I've read that the cost of cancer can be, you know, thousands a month for some patients out of pocket 
for different things. Well, just If you and, just start with loss of wages, the inability to maintain the cycle, right. and a lot of us don't have these huge nest eggs, and especially depending where you are in your career, your age, there's lots of factors, and you're absolutely like, oh, but treatment is part of a you know public healthcare system. Yeah, but what about life? Like life is unfortunately not under that umbrella, right? <laughs> well, exactly. I was, mm. I was chatting with someone, um, you know, about how do we express the impact of this program? Because it's at an all-time high. Demand is at an all-time high. Mm. And the nurse said to me, she goes, I don't know what to tell you, Wendy, but I just had a young man want to stop his chemo because he doesn't have any more money for parking. Right. And so that's what wow. that program is all about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we're lucky that thanks to the support of Albertans, we're able to fund that through a million and a half a year. So that's sort of one group of, of programs that okay. we have making life better for, for cancer patients today, uh, whether that be through patient financial assistance, you know, um, different supportive programs. On the other hand, there's a, there's those in the community who want to spur innovation okay. and to, to really accelerate progress in cancer. And so about half of our funding every year actually goes to research and clinical trials. Okay, to clinical trials. I'm making notes. I'm painting the, painting the, painting the, painting the picture. Uh, so from the perspective, and you've been in the non-for-profit space for quite a few, maybe talk a little bit about your history. And I've often heard this, and maybe this is just my Alberta bias, which I have, and I'm very proud to say that this is an exceptionally generous province that we have like a high degree of volunteerism and, and that this province tends to really be good at that. You've been in this space for a long time. You probably have a lot of peers that are in other markets. Do we all think that? Is that actually true here? And I, I, you know, I, I love to fly that flag, but let's, let's break it down a little bit. Has that always been your experience that Albertans are quick to support well absolutely absolutely <laughs> fly that so, flag you know, proud absolutely <laughs> I, I would say you know it's interesting because i have worked in other provinces um in a nonprofit environment and, and depending on what province i'm in i remember manitobans telling me manitoba is the most giving province i had a feeling Alberta, that might be the case <laughs> <laughs> Alberta's the most giving province i actually looked it up and it's quite interesting because they're both right so um well, that's an know, everybody wins then scenario so we're good <laughs> well you know per capita i think manitoba most like in terms of donated receipts, um, Manitoba is the highest, but in terms of dollars contributed, Alberta per capita. Oh, is, it depends on which is, measurement you use. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, you know, yeah. you can you can look at it differently. But yeah. the, the main thing is, is Albertans are very, very generous and really inspired to make their community a better place. Hmm. Have you seen a shift in... Donors want more transparency. They want to see more measurable outcomes. They want to be more connected. Uh, donors are changing. They're not, you know, all of a sudden now you've got a 30-year-old who not that long ago was a 15-year-old, and now they're in a position where they want to contribute to the things they value. And there's reams of research around new generations care more and they're cause-driven. Are you seeing that impact in terms of how you even run your campaigns or the types of donors you're, you're, you're getting to talk to and interact with? You know, I... Yes and no, it would be what I would say. You know, I think when you actually look at, especially something like cancer, um, our, our donors definitely uh, skew, skew older. And most cancers are in older adults, most cancers. And so you tend to want to give to something that's impacted you directly or someone in your family. Um, so, you know, but, but I would say there is that this isn't people plunking money in a jar from far away. This is people who want to see what the impact they're having and how their contributions 
are helping to make life better for cancer patients or create more moments for cancer patients. So that whole transparency, that direct connection, that tangible, how am I helping? What is my contribution doing? Is, is I think exists across all generations, frankly. Okay. And do you see that being a challenge around, well, my mom or my relative or my sister or my friend got treatment at, at this location I want to give there, like that kind of more one-to-one back to your point about mm-hmm. it is very visceral when you're involved with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is interesting, right? Because you do giving tends to happen where gratitude, you know, when you have gratitude for a place or, and, and definitely there's a desire often for people to want to really be specific with their donation. And uh, we've got a pathway for that. Absolutely. Um, at the same time, if we're going to make big bets and take big swings to solve complicated problems like cancer it it is it can't be it can't be a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here right so let me give you an example we um we invested in a in a car t cell therapy program about 5 years ago and we were we did this because we had flexible funding and what i mean by that is people didn't restrict it to a site to a certain type of cancer it was flexible dollars and so what that meant was we were able to give a make a 5 million dollar investment into a CAR T cell therapy program. And I won't, I won't bore you with the, the too much on it, but here's what I'd say. It's an emerging field within cancer, um, you know, quickly becoming the fourth modality or immunotherapy is to treating cancers, past surgery, uh, chemotherapy, radiation. And, you know, we, this $5 million, which was matched by the government of Alberta, um, and this researcher was doing a made in Alberta solution for this. And the clinical trial just wrapped up. And, you know, I believe it's now 19 patients that are either cancer-free or um, in a significantly better place. We would not have been able to do that if we would have had to go to the community, raise money for that specifically. It would have taken us five years, right? And so to be able to have that flexible funding is absolutely key to achieving your purpose. Mm, I really appreciate that. That's a fantastic example. So from a marketing and branding perspective, uh, back to putting on my hat as a brander and a marketer, how much, because really what that means is I have to have trust that you're going to use my funds in a way that's going to best impact because you know better than me as the donor. And that's an interesting shift as we live in a world where as individuals, we love, we're addicted to hyper-personalization. I want my thing curated my way, done the way I want. And again, as I reach never out of arm's reach, my phone as, you know, my, everything is personalized. You know, you and I follow the same newsfeed, but get different news. How's that balance when it comes to messaging and, and, and the campaigns that you run and getting that out there? Because really, I see it as just like, what's the trust mechanics? But again, I'm, I'm putting my own answer in there. T- give me your perspective on that shift of us wanting personalization, but it might not be the best for the outcome that we probably all agree that we do want. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. And I think it would be, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And I think it comes down to authentic storytelling mm-hmm. um, that inspires people and they see themselves in it. Um, you know, and, and that is incredibly powerful and it isn't about all that person. It was Wendy from Calgary or Sarah from Lethbridge. Um, it's Wendy and I'm, you know, this, and I'm 50, I'm this, I'm that. And people can connect with that or someone else who's a young mother or a young father, whatever it might be. And so I think there's personalization that can happen that doesn't necessarily have to happen with the donation, but, but they see themselves in the outcome. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The old joke, you know, if you can't go there with your mind, you'll never go there with your wallet, which is not Mm -hmm. pertaining to Nestle donations, but from a retail perspective, you can't envision it. If you can't connect to it, 
you're probably not going to contribute your your hard-earned dollars to it and uh, which is interesting because it's it's relatable and those are the stories that get you too right those are the stories that like as humans you're like whoo that was you know someone in your life or someone that you're connected to it you get to see your own mortality very quickly and that lands home or certainly does for me I'm speaking just the audience of one over here you see that and you're like oh whew, okay i guess i'm not invincible if someone i can relate to now who had you know all these things going for them and all of a sudden wham the left hook of cancer it comes out of nowhere uh, are you seeing any trends or any you know you've been in the space for the you know the space being not-for-profit is there trends? Is there changes? You know, we talked about, you know, the audience even wanting to see tangible outcomes in those things. But what about even just the mechanics of, of fundraising from the mm. onslaught of digital and are not-for-profits needing to get more sophisticated? Like, what are you seeing mechanically behind the scenes that I think is maybe affecting a lot of businesses also and also the not-for-profit space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. There's there, there definitely are some trends. You know, one of the big ones is there is a theme from more from less. So that means bigger yeah. donations from less people. Okay. And so that's that's something that is concerning and something that I think the sector needs to keep an eye on mm. to understand what's going on there. I think there's a lot in there, right? Inflation, different types of employment, um, unemployment, whatever, whatever it might be. And so, but that's been a theme that's been fairly consistent for a while now. You know, one of the challenges I think the sector faces, Tyler, is that this is a relationship business. It is. It is about people who are inspired to make the world a better place. And that usually is about human connection. And that is hard to, you know, to necessarily convey in a digital um, space. There's certainly the storytelling that you can do. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say that in terms of philanthropy sort of growing by leaps and bounds um, through donations in a, in a digital environment, yes, people are donating online. Um, absolutely. But, but, you know, social media and all the digital world, I don't think that there's been a direct correlation to huge growth um, due to what we're able to do there. That's so interesting. I had a conversation with someone, I was working, doing some work with International Justice Mission, and they talked about, you know, oftentimes to get a major donor takes two to three years. And the whole time is they're fostering a relationship and a trust and an understanding versus I have friends that every year they donate somewhere different. It's, it's a little more transactional. But mm -hmm. I've been involved and I've been personally supporting CUPS for 15 years because the first time I walked into CUPS with Carlene, the executive director, who's become a good friend of mine, and I saw the work they did and I saw the look in her eye and I see her commitment, I can't not contribute because I have a relationship. It changes the whole thing. You know, is there other areas that could use my support? Absolutely. And, and that's just the one I choose mainly because I have a relationship with them. It's not transactional at all, actually. It's, it's funny, and I won't say this. I, before I got involved in starting Red Express, which is my Toys for Kids project, I was involved. Uh, I made a donation to a large organization here, and I walked in right before week before Christmas with a like you know a truckload of toys for kids, and they just said, "Sure, where do you want to put it?" And they walked me into a room that was piled to the ceiling. I didn't feel very good about my transaction. You know what I mean? I'm talking very human in that moment. I was, they're like, I guess, do you want a photo or something? And I'm like, you're just on the desk for the day to take the donations here. I'm like, this felt kind of not, this is not what I was hoping for. I was like, you know, you come feeling like you're doing good, you're contributing, and then you literally get turned into a, it was a transaction. Then I met Carlene and the rest, the rest is history. But the relationship is what changed the whole thing. I stopped giving to that one organization because... I just, it was a transaction due to the situation and I get it and no fault of theirs, but I didn't get what I was looking for. And in the other environment I did, but the relationship and the connection to the impact and seeing it and seeing the kids and all those things, 15 years later, I'm still supporting the same organization. <laughs>
Oh, Ewan, thank you for supporting that. It's a really important part of our community. And yeah, it's a relationship-based business. You know, my first day here, um, two little boys came into to the office, Tate and Reese, and they made a donation um, because their grandpa has cancer and was receiving treatment at the Tom Baker Cancer Center. And their family, uh, they have um, their allowance, they have a, a savings jar, they have a spending jar, and they have a giving jar. And so they were coming to give $60, $62.50, and then they Good were going them. to go buy monster trucks and water guns. <laughs> but, you know, starting, they were starting, their parents uh, were mm. starting them at a young age. And it's just such a, it was such a great moment for me, because you do need to celebrate at all, giving at all levels and and how that looks and but it is all about the relationships at the end of the day they were inspired by their grandpa who who and they wanted to help other kids who have grandma and grandpas getting cancer treatment and that's that's what started that and so you know conveying that through marketing or in online channels is mm -hmm. you can do it through video and other powerful means right. which is an important piece of the storytelling but when it actually comes to down to donations um you know it can be transactional if it's only in an online environment to your point yeah fair enough and i'm i'm also assuming this is a very competitive space there the, mm. there is no end to the need that's out there and like i guess how do you think about it you know if it's a business to business and i'm competing to get the sale over you there's a win lose where in this environment there, there's so much more of a human side of it like but it is i'm assuming it's only becoming more competitive cuz dollars are getting title even the more with more from less we're all trying to do more with less as well <laughs> yeah that's such a good point you know um the the nonprofit sector I really see as sort of the third leg of the stool. Um, you've got it, and it's it's trying to solve problems that go beyond what government funding can solve. You know, I used to work with a former finance minister in Saskatchewan, Rod Ganifor, and he'd say, "There's always more fence than paint." Um, <laughs> you know, in government, so governments can't solve. That's everything. a good old farmer metaphor, right there. Right. I like that one for sure. Totally, I, I think of that one oftentimes. You know, there's always more fence than paint when it comes to government funding, and then, and then, you know, and then you've got the business and private sector, and if it's not profitable, if you can't make money on it, that you know, it's not going to be a viable business. And so, the third leg of that stool is really the the nonprofit sector. And you're absolutely right. There are so many gaps and um, uh, we need solutions for so many challenges, whether it be homelessness or mental health and addictions or in our case, cancer. Right. And so, yes, there's, there's no shortage of great causes um, in our context. You know, one in two Albertans are going to face a diagnosis of cancer in their lifetime. You know, every day in this province, Tyler, 60 people hear the words, you have cancer. 60 people a day. 60 people a day oh, that's, hear the that's, words, that's, you have that's, cancer. That's a sobering number. That's very real. Well, the one and two, like look, look to your left, look to your right, and then look in the mirror. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's a coin toss, right? Like mm -hmm. you and me right uh, now. Uh, oh, so Wendy, I don't like this line of talk, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate the reality of the conversation. And, that, and this is how serious it is. Mm -hmm. at, at the same time, you know, I think treatments have come so far. It, it's absolutely incredible, thanks to research and innovation, including right here in Alberta, of what's been happening in cancer, and more people are surviving their diagnosis than ever. So there's really room for optimism here, for sure. Mm -hmm. But back to your question about competitive environment, 
definitely, it's definitely competitive. Um, with eating cancer alone, there's, there's lots yeah. of, um, um, different organizations that are focused in, even in Alberta that are focused on cancer fundraising. And I would like to say that we have a great positive relationship with all of them and, and we work together. Um, but at some degree you, you are competing too. Mm -hmm. And, but that's okay. Like, it, you know, in theory, I don't think the nonprofit world should be treated all that different than business. Mm, and we would that. say competition in business is good. Yeah. And so competition in, in the nonprofit environment in some ways is also good. It drives efficiency. It drives innovation. It drives improvements. And so I, like I look at it mainly, mainly as a good thing. Yeah. Well, you might as well, because it's happening anyways. <laughs> to, right, to, exactly. I agree with you. Like, well, I can't make it go away, so I'm going to embrace it and lean in on it. it can, the you know economy, um, obviously, we've been through some challenges in Alberta. Things are going a little bit better now. Do you see a direct, like, can you draw a graph like, oh, the price of oil is up, so therefore fundraising is going a bit better. That's a really oversimplified, because I know Alberta is so much more than that. But let's be honest, for years, and still to this day, the price of, of a barrel makes a difference in terms of how things, how, how the wheel turns in other aspects of our province. Have you seen a positive shift be, you know, that you can correlate to that? If you look at the last, you know, since 2013, 2012, when things took a little bit of a nasty turn. Yeah. You know, um, fundraising is interesting because it tends to be a lagging, mm. lagging, okay. you know, oftentimes people will make commitments and a pledge to, to donate a certain amount of money over a certain period of time. And, um, they'll keep, they'll keep that pledge. It's the renewal that might ah, be it. harder. And so we're not, we, we tend to lag a little bit behind whatever's going in the economy, in my experience. And there's, we've got a lot of different fundraising streams that are impacted by the economy differently. So something like a lottery. So a large scale lottery where you're selling, you can win a house or you can win a car and you know, you're buying a ticket for a hundred dollars. When the cost of those go up because of inflation, the prizes, because they're not donated. And and fewer people have disposable. That's good income. to clarify that they're not donated. They're part they're of not the. Donated. Yeah, that's good to clarify that because I think that's an easy like. Oh, you guys just get all this. People just flood you with free cars. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it's it, you know, and lotteries are really interesting because it's back to that full circle here. Mm. But they give you flexible funding. It's because of lotteries yeah, that yeah, we yeah. can make these big, you know, fund these big programs that maybe regular donors aren't going to necessarily contribute to, but they're going to have impact, huge impact. Oh, cool. okay. And so, but they, they can drive up your costs, but you know, it's that old adage, you and I could have a bake sale and we could, you know, spend $5 on napkins and raise a hundred dollars. So our, our costs on that were what, 5%? Yep. Or we could run a lottery and um, we're going to raise, we're going to net a million dollars but, or we're going to raise $4 million, but maybe we had to spend a million dollars to do that, it's but we're going to keep 3 million. Which one do you think cancer patients would want? So mm. there's this whole idea in this sector that costs are bad. And yes, we need to keep costs low, just like any business, but sometimes nonprofits need to invest in those things that do give them flexible funding, that do give them those things that they can actually make big investments in things that support their purpose in a way in ways that would be difficult with regular donations to do. I appreciate that. Is that a bit of a struggle or is that a bit of one of your um, ideas to keep lifting up? Because sometimes like 
more bring it more of a business mindset like we need to make money to make to, we, we need to do things we need to spend money to make money like kind of those things that in business are just foregone conclusions i've talked to people that have gone from the for-profit to the non-profit sector and some of them really struggled because the mindset was so drastically different my belief is that a little more of a business mindset will bring more money f- to the pool in the long run but of course i'm bringing a for-profit bias to that thought thought pattern <laughs> Oh, I fundamentally feel strongly about that. Yeah. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think the proof is in the pudding. You know, when when um, I get called from from donors about our cost structure, I'll walk them through our lottery because the you know even the fifty fifty alone, which is a component, you're giving away half of the money. That is an expense on an accounting statement. That is an expense, and so. But when you net two million dollars. I'd I do that every week if I could. And <laughs> you know what I totally, would say is, yeah, would, yeah. You own, would you own that business? Would you run that business if at the end of the year you could put $2 million in your jeans? And when the answer yes. is yes, then we do then, it. Or in your bank account, I yeah. guess you're not putting $2 million I in like your jeans. that. My CFO uses that. Because what, you put it, you know, what are you putting in your jeans? I, <laughs> I love that one. So thanks for using that. <laughs> Yes, we're not literally putting in our jeans, people. That's not. Yeah. We're not. We're not, we're not jumping on our private jet and flying to wherever. Yeah. Um, is yeah. that is that something? Do you find that that's changing in the non for profit space? That we can do more if we think a little bit broader, more. I don't want to just say more business oriented because that's a that's a cop out. But changing the mindset of that is it becoming mandatory that we have to to make it work? I think it is. Yeah, okay. I absolutely do think it is. If you want to operate on scale, if you want to. We're talking about some of the most complicated problems of our time, the most complicated challenges of our society. And you're going to have a whole different set of rules that that you can't invest in. You can't invest in improving this. Like, I, no, if we're going to solve these challenges or make the world a better place on things that are really complicated, um, we've got to think like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And does that work its way all the way right back to your ability to hire, to comp, to do, to build the team that you need to do that? I've, uh, I think you and I chatted even in our first chat. I think Dan Pilata was someone I got uh, exposed to years ago and his philosophy about why the not-for-profit space is broken. And he had stats coming out his, you know, coming to his ears around, you pay this much less for someone from environment and you're going to get a lesser skilled person. So therefore your organization isn't as, as performance oriented and you just can't do as much. Uh, I heard that years ago and it felt like it was almost sacrilegious in, in the not-for-profit space, the stuff he was touting. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think, I think that's changing okay. and he was a pioneer in that for sure mm-hmm. into helping foster some of that. And I would say we're really privileged where we are. And, um, you know, I'm, I feel I'm fortunate to have an incredibly motivated, talented, smart, agile team. Now in saying that, I think like any small to medium sized business, recruiting of talent is a challenge right now oh, for, for, sure. for anyone. Right. Well, and I'll, the marketer in me, you have, you have a built-in value proposition that sometimes other businesses don't have, you know, your, your widgets are helping are sit, are, are adding moments to the lives of, of cancer patients. That's gotta be a factor for people to come to work on your team. That's gotta be a part of their, I want to work here because I can see the bigger contribution and not every business has that same direct line of sight to making the world a better place. I got to think that that's a value proposition for your recruiting. Oh, certainly is a valuable value proposition for me personally and and definitely now you know working in cancer with cancer patients day after day is can take is heavy can be really heavy and um Mm, oftentimes the people who have them who give the most are the ones who have the most to lose 
And so we had a, an experience a year ago or so where we, six of our volunteers and supporters and, you know, those that we went to get ideas from that we lost, the lost them in a course of about two months. So that can, that can be heavy at that moment. At the same time, it's that reminder of that. And this is in cases, Tyler, decades before their time, decades before their time. Right. And so it also serves as that reminder, um, um, that it's a heavy lift still and we need to do more. But for me as the leader, I think, what are we doing to support our people through that? What can we look at doing through um, grief counseling differently? Um, I know I know it's not necessarily family and friends, but it's people that you interact with on a regular basis. It's other humans you're connected to that, that it's not family or not friends. That is to me, that's almost non-consequential. If you're connected to somebody, that's real. That's That's what being human is, right? It's connection. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think when we're, I think we're really lucky that the purpose we do have Mm -hmm. does help us recruit, does help us with our marketing. You know, if you start with, we just want to make life better for cancer patients Mm -hmm. and you use that as your North star to how you're making all your decisions. And even if it's, you know, if this was my money, would I spend it? And, and when that answer is yes, it makes it pretty easy. Uh, I like that. So I like how you break it down. Well, if it's this, then it's that. And, and you know, because <laughs> life is never that simple. But fundamentally, if you align from a values perspective, it can be a little bit simpler. So, hey, we've done a lot about talking about you know how and what. What what are you excited about about what's going on? Like, let's let's put the shiny light on this a little bit. We've we've been having. I, I appreciate the ability to have a real conversation about the the the. the the brass tacks of the world you live in, but we're also doing amazing things from the new cancer center. Let's do a little bit of a billboard here. What are you super excited about, about what's coming down the pipe in Alberta? That's going to do exactly your mission about improving the moments of cancer patients. Well, I mean, it's hard right behind me is the, uh, the new Calgary cancer center, which is the, it's hard not to talk about that one. Yeah, well, I thought that might to... be the first one on your list. I thought that might be the first one. <laughs> it's scheduled to open, you know, mid-2024 or so. They're still working through some some clinical commissioning over there. Um, but that is, you know, absolutely extraordinary opportunity. You know, um, thanks to the government investment of around $1.3 billion, um, it's going to be seven times bigger than the Tom Baker Cancer Center. Seven times bigger, which, by the way, reached capacity about a decade ago. So um, the research space alone is bigger than the footprint of the Tom Baker, but the world's top cancer centers are not bricks and mortar. They're hubs for discovery and innovation Mm, and, and, you know, the opportunity to offer, to foster research-based, you know, in clinical outcomes, improvements, offer more clinical trials uh, for patients. You know, we've got someone um, that we work with who was regularly flying to Toronto for a clinical trial and had to stop going because they got sick from flying so much. (laughs) And that was making a difference. So to be able to offer more of those here, which is what the Calgary Cancer Center is going to allow us to do. And beyond that, just, you know, even the space, um, I have gone down to the radiation vaults uh, with friends and, and, you know, they're dark, um, maybe might be a plastic chair if there's a chair to sit on at all. And the thought that went into the design of the Calgary Cancer mm. Center. There was a patient advisory council of which the architects really engaged with and really listened to. The building itself is shaped as a hug. 
<laughs> giving a hug. What if a building could give a hug is, was what the architects, that was a bit of their, their inspiration. I love a good North star. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. It was their inspiration. So it's hard not to get excited about, about that. And this is where Calgary takes a big step forward in, in cancer research, treatment and care. I love it. I'm just on, I'm on owncancer.ca. That is the, mm -hmm. that's the campaign focused directly on that, on the new cancer center, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So while the government is, is paid for the bricks and mortar and the build, what the own cancer campaign is all about is how do we spur innovation even commercialization. What's going to happen inside this bricks and mortar? What's going to happen yeah. inside, you know, a better patient experience for cancer patients. Again, going back to that more fence than paint, that's beyond what the government can do. So how can philanthropy and fundraise really elevate that? And that's what that campaign's all about. And this, there's a zero on the left side for anyone. Go check it out. It's a great website, owncaster.ca, 117 million, but we're still like the 250 is still a ways away. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so mm -hmm. talk to me, when did we, when, how long is, how long have we taken to get to the 117 and what are we, how are we tracking on the 250? Because if someone gets off this, listens to this and they go and want to make a donation, then, then that was a good, like, we'll put it, we'll put a penny in that jar, yes, right? <laughs> I, exactly. hundred um, percent. Well, you know, we're about 18 months in and okay. so, okay. um, you know, we're, we're hoping to, um, get really close to the, by the time the, the Calgary Cancer Center opens and certainly have lots of engagement and a very... You're about, so you're about a year out, 12 months, you said mid-2024? We're, yeah. we're early 2023, I guess, at this point? Mm. Probably 12 to 16 months out that the okay. Cancer Center opens. So, you know, close to that time or not long after, um, that's that's what our timeline is. And of course, like anyone, we're motivated to to achieve that more quickly. Of course. Um, but, um, you know, that, that's our timeline for the campaign. And is funding for this, does, is your main target inside the province or because of the impact that, you know, cancer is also a global phenomenon, unfortunately, is this also, do you see funding coming in from outside of our kind of immediate jurisdiction for something like this, or is it very homegrown in terms of where you get the funds from? Yeah, it tends to be really homegrown, you know, people mm. wanting to have an impact where they live or where they've been, where they've been treated or where their family member was treated and they want to really um, support that. Now that said, there's the occasion where it, it might be an organization or a family foundation or different things like that that are really inspired by the research that's happening. Uh, that there, There's examples of that. But generally speaking, it is it is Albertans. Because I'm assuming everybody imports and exports learnings that happen all over the world. Like I would assume that this is an a, an, an inclusive network of, hey, we learned something over here, let's go test it. Or you've got a newer facility, so that gives you the means to maybe hold a trial in a, in a different way. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the research community and the clinical community, there, there would be no innovation if there weren't, weren't sharing, right? Like that, there would be none. And so to actually do that on scale, it's happening all the time. And they, they do a marvelous, marvelous job of that. Hmm. What else is on the, like that, that, I appreciate that being the number one, but like, what are you the most excited about? Any other things that are just not on your radar? Like, hey, I'm a marketer. So this is a blatant, like, let's talk about the things that are going on in your world. <laughs> you know, um, we just wrapped up um, a campaign for the Cross Cancer Institute in Edmonton. Okay. And um, the Cross Cancer is, you know, built in 1968 or something like that. Much loved facility in that community. And it was $30 million and the community really came together in one year to foster that. And a lot of it was for improvements in the building, but a lot of it was also to foster more research. And, you know, that, that um, area I was chatting about before, you know, that is really exciting. Um, CAR T cell therapy. And so 
the future of cancer treatments, more personalized medicine, precision oncology, you know, no two cancers are alike. And so to actually be a lot more precise in the diagnosis and treatment of a cancer and some of the immunotherapies that might be supporting that or different diagnostics that are supporting that are really, really exciting. And I think there's, you know, a bit of an inflection point here of what's going to happen. Um, for the longest time, as I mentioned, it was chemo, surgery, um, radiation. Yeah. And now with immunotherapy rising, like there's huge possibilities with what the researchers and clinical teams can do there and to be part of that. And, and we're right now working with researchers and uh, clinicians in Alberta to really, what is the next generation of, of cellular therapy look like mm -hmm. and how can our donors and community support that? Well, we joked before about personalization and donor experience, but we're also seeing personalization starting to be able to be scalable across treatments. And that's really, because you're right, I am unique, I am different. And whether it's diet or exercise or whatever it is, there is no one universal formula. And I think we all would like that to be like, oh, just do this and it'll all work out. But we all are unique. And to hear no two cancers are the same. I appreciate personalization dot dot at scale and the ability to do that. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's really, it, cancer is not linear. It is not, oh, here I go, I do this, I do yeah. this, I go here. It is not linear. It is a very uh, um, complicated um, journey often, right. usually. Yeah. And so, um, and, it, and it looks different. You know, I do think that, you know, one thing that you want more than ever when you've got a diagnosis is to talk to someone who's had that too. And what they yeah, should experience. Yeah. And that's why we see Dr. Google yeah, and people yes, Googling, which is, you know, we all know one of the worst things you can do is go <laughs> online to check out uh, yes. self-diagnosis. But at the same time, there's a reason you do that, that you want, you want that shared experience. Well, you're looking and for so community. More. You're looking for community. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, we had, um, so some of the things that we often get involved in funding are even supports like that, right? That, that provide people with that connection, um, that they're, they've got a bit of a community that can support them in, in that journey. Well, back to creating those moments. It's so critical. It's an integral part of that. And, oh, and, and a lot of, and a lot of us fortunately have a support community around of us. A lot of people don't, maybe you moved here from somewhere else. You don't have family here. You don't like, there's so much of that that you take for granted when you have it. <laughs> you know, um, one of the programs that we fund annually, which is probably one of the hardest ones to fundraise for mm. is something called patient navigation. And it is intended primarily for people who are diagnosed with cancer outside of an urban era, area. And, um, you know, you're going to have to go here for tests, you know, here for surgery, perhaps here, here, here. And it's really confusing, really confusing. So we, we find nurse navigators who are really able to help that person navigate that complicated journey. Hmm. And it's hard enough when English is your first language, <laughs> when you've grown up here your whole life, when you've got a great family and friends support system, what if you don't? What if you don't? What does that mean? So that is one of our flagship programs, actually. And again, gets back to why we need flexible funding. Right. Because it's an annual commitment we make in this, to, able, to be able to hire those people. The system needs our annual commitment. And so we do it. And we're, we're lucky enough that we've got all these fundraising revenue streams that we can make that commitment and we know we'll get there. Um, it's incredibly valuable for patients. And in fact, the data, the data shows in terms of um, patient satisfaction how much that program's made a difference, particularly in rural communities. You say notoriously hard to fund. Is it just because we don't, it just seems too logistical? It just seems too administrative <laughs> you know, that it's not, so, it's not well, got some buzz to it? <laughs> 
Well, I, I'd like to talk to you because you're the marketing. You you can help us, right? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I, I'm already thinking about a rename here. I don't know if Patient Navigator <laughs> is the way to go, but I didn't want to, to, to you know. No, anyway. <laughs> I think that's exactly it. Okay. I think we've got okay. to look at packaging it differently. Yeah. Mm. But, but part of the challenge is there's never, there's not an off ramp for it. So it is an ongoing year after year yeah, because it's yeah. not a piece of equipment. It's not a one time. It is nurse nurses that are helping patients navigate their journey. And that is not something the system is able to to pay for, but we do every year. And, and as far as I'm concerned, it's one of our best investments that we make to help patients today. Mm, So Wendy, I really appreciate it. And what it was one of my goals of getting on this call is just understanding all of the layers. Cause you know, you understand it at, at, because unfortunately we've all known or experienced cancer, but to really understand the complexity of the patient journey, the patient experience and their families. And, but heaven forbid you, ha- and you don't have a family to support you through this and you're alone through this journey. That's a whole nother you know, bucket of people needing support to bring those moments together. Oh, um, we could talk about this for days and days and days. When, when, you know, when you look ahead and your horizon, we talked about what you're excited about. What are some of the, any big challenges that you see coming down the pipe just from the world of like the world we live in, or maybe just your specific day to day and, the reason I'm asking is because we, if we talk, you can't fix the secret. If we talk about the challenges, then we can find a way to fix them. <laughs> oh, it's such a great question. And, you know, I think right now what's, what's on my mind, we've got big goals and we've got, mm-hmm. I think, a big mandate and an important purpose to fulfill. Um, but, you know, it is tough to recruit right now for anyone, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a comp- competitive yeah. market. Staying, keeping pace um, and keeping pace with inflation all of those things. Some of our fundraising programs that we run, the costs are going up. Yeah. Um, as, you know, as, with is, as is the way these days, right? <laughs> yeah. If we take a look at our lottery, the houses are getting more expensive that we buy. The cars are getting more expensive that we buy. So you either have to sell more tickets or reduce your costs. And so those are, those are some of our challenges. You know, our challenge will always be um, those areas where we need flexible funding. It will. Yeah. And I don't I, I've heard that. I've heard that probably, theme come out like for yeah. sure. And it's and those are often, Tyler, the most expensive ways to fundraise. They're usually they're a little bit more transactional as you used. Um, they, they tend to be a little bit more expensive to run. You need to have higher marketing costs or whatever it might look like. Um, but the impact they have is extraordinary, is absolutely extraordinary. Quote, so that unquote, be, it, it's worth it, but it's challenging and, and it's becoming yeah. more challenging is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Especially in a fragmented um, world when it comes to um, how we consume our media, our social media and our information. <laughs> yeah, one, and staying one, on top one, one, of one that. momentary bite at a time. <laughs> totally. Yeah. You know, staying, staying on top of that, staying relevant in that space um, is, is always, you know, an ongoing challenge for us. At the same time, we have an awesome story to tell. I might be biased, but I think we have an awesome story to tell. You better be biased, Wendy. That's that's part of your job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I really, I do understand, I really appreciate the flexible funding aspect and why it tends to be tied to those bigger kind of like glammy type of things like win a car, win a house, because that in itself can get attention in a very, very noisy, very crowded space with media versus, you know, telling good human stories doesn't always get the cut through as a new, as win house. And I appreciate the role that both of those plays. Cause once you get me engaged or once I become aware, what do I read next and where, what, like what journey can, do you provide for me as someone who wants to get maybe more involved or all of a sudden gets connected by accident when you read a story that hits close to home and th- that, that is, you know, part of, part of creating connections with a, cons- with your consumers that are, you know, we're all distracted <laughs> by whatever, it's whatever feed we happen to be looking at in that moment. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's so true. And I, and I think we just haven't got the story right, to be honest. Mm. I think there's a way to tell that story in a more nuanced way than, than we've been doing. And, you know, I think one of the things we know from our donors mm. is they love leverage and they love matching. So anytime that we have an opportunity to match or, or have that donation parlay into something even bigger is very exciting. Or mm, okay. uh, yep. a major donor who maybe we're going to get that donation and then leverage a government investment is yep. very exciting. But at the end of the day, I actually see our ultimate leverage are those those donors who are supporting with flexible funding because it's allowing us to do so much. It's allowing us to stay relevant and current and, you know, with the innovations that are happening worldwide in cancer, that means that we can bring them here or help foster them here in Alberta even sooner. And so I think there might be you can help me out. There might be absolutely a way to no, tell no. That we, story. I, I can feel it. We need a whiteboard, you know, maybe. And, uh... Yeah, I think so because I think it's pretty powerful. Um, and what a lot of people can do to have impact is pretty powerful. And I, I just I think we can get there. I think we can tell it a little differently. Um, you know, with help with people and, and, like you and get and, and and get us. Or I'm saying us as the person outside the bu- bu- bubble. <laughs> to get a little closer to the story a little a little sooner with a little bit more of a clearer line and that that's always that's the ultimate trick we all want to accomplish as marketers how do mm-hmm. we move people there to where they're like oh and then it becomes a little bit self-generating because we all want to dig and curate and but how do we get past those first few layers of just being distracted in the world we live in mm-hmm. and you know make it get it on our radar and make cuz once again you got like it's the old joke you have a third of a second to get 3 seconds to get you know 3 minutes or like someone joked to me the other day Tyler we have the shortest attention span but yet we binge watch Netflix what's going on there so we were kind of pondering that about cuz once it becomes interesting oh man i have, we have all the time in the world then so it's really interesting the short attention span though but once you crack it you do have access to to i would say a very engaged audience members that are willing to consume your content and learn about you but you got to get there and that that wall is high sometimes to jump over (laughs) no it really is it really is and you know video is so compelling and using different mediums like that you know at the end of the day it i loved your story about um your connection to cups and i had the privilege of sitting next to someone at kids cottage society Mm. uh, at a lunch and um uh, again that relationship and she was telling me about her work and about the impact that that organization's having and I was so inspired. I left there and I went to my office and I made a donation. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. The impact they're having on kids um, to help set them up for a better future is absolutely astonishing. And so, you know, you know, how do you take rela- that relationship connection and scale it? Like what, what would that look like? How do you do that? We can't, you know, through volunteers and other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's other things that come into play there. Like that's where events come into play. Um, I'm not a big fan of fundraising events because I sometimes think that there's more, you don't get enough uh juice from the squeeze so to speak i've uh, I've had this conversation with many like it kind of feels like it's a bit getting like it's run its course a little bit but we all get dressed up and we go to the gala and 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 again it was a nice time but financially it doesn't have the impact it maybe once did doesn't but at the same time when you are inspired by someone standing on their on stage and saying here's how my life has been changed like, I, I don't know where, like, it's hard to compete with that. If it's done right, it's hugely powerful. And so I fundamentally believe there's still a space for that. There's definitely a space for that. Well, and the idea that, and this is where we almost fell into our own trap. Like, if you look at that as a one transactional event, it maybe doesn't make sense. But if you look at, at the, 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 life, the life cycle of a donor, and that's their ability to get connected and actually stand at the bar and have a chat with someone from the organization that either works there or has been helped. 
Like if it's part of a bigger, if you really think about it as a bigger um, mechanism, as a one-off, it might not make sense. But what would it remove if you took it out of the out of the mix? Yeah, yeah. Again, we got to get right. a little higher. Yeah, get the plane, yeah, pull the plane right. up to thirty thousand because you know it's easy to get very transactional around campaigns. But if you're doing it right, they all link. It's all a big journey in the ch- in in the chain. But anyway, sorry, we're the for our audience is like, what are you guys talking about now? We're going way down the rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, we will pause yes. this because this is a conversation you and I are going to have um, off off air. Um, Wendy, what's the best? Thank you so much. Well, not only for the work you do, but more importionally, the passion you bring to it. And that I love, I love passionate people. And when you and I met, I think that's why we get it off right away. Uh, one of the many reasons. But um, what's the best way if someone wants to reach out they're dying to chat with you i'm sure you're a busy lady with lots of stuff on your list is it linkedin is it an email is it go to a website what 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 do you recommend Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. LinkedIn. That's a great way to get in touch and okay, right connect for sure. Wendy Beauchene, I'm easy to find. And like, look, I'm always happy to talk <laughs> to people who want to make the world a better place and especially those who want to make life better for cancer patients. So reach out. Amazing. There's, there, there's a call to action right there. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on the show today again. Thank you again for the work you do. And it was an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And I really appreciate you telling the story. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Tyler. It was such a pleasure. 